Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of finance. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about industry super fund returns for the financial year ending June 21. Uh, Some important considerations and also I will share the two industry funds that I typically recommend uh, to people. So the two that I think are are, uh, are the best. So uh, last financial year, so the 21 financial year, was the second best year in terms of returns uh, since superannuation, uh, compulsory superannuation began in 1992. And you should expect something uh, north of 20% uh, in terms of returns. So it's been a, a really great year. Now, whilst I don't want to sell this as bad news, because of course it's not, they're great returns, there are a few important matters that you absolutely must be aware of if your superannuation is invested with an industry super fund. Okay, so uh, before we get there, let's talk about the best returns for um, 2021. Uh, So uh, what I did is I compared uh, returns of the eight largest industry super funds, uh, mainly because I recommend industry super over retail products, typically. Um, so, you know, whether it's BT or AMP or some of these sort of, uh, or Colonial, those sort of um, uh, retail products tend to be underperformers. Uh, and uh, industry super funds uh, tend to do much better and typically have lower fees as well. Uh, and so I picked the eight uh, largest funds just because they're the uh, probably the most common uh, common fund. And the winner is for a balanced investment option was Host Plus. Now, this is not Host Plus's index balanced, which is an index style option uh, that's often promoted by uh, Scott Pape, who's the author of uh, Barefoot Investor. Um, now, that book sold over 2 million copies, so uh, a lot of Australians are aware of that book. Um, and Scott is a, a big promoter of Host Plus is index balanced option. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about their traditional balanced option. And I'll talk about the index options uh, a little bit later on. Uh, so they, they um, performed the best out of those eight funds, 21.3% uh, uh, in terms of total returns. Um, and now if you look at returns over three, five, seven and 10 years, Australian Super's uh, balanced option um, performed the best. Uh, and Australian Super um, last year was uh, 0.9 of a percent less than uh, Host Plus. So, you know, it's it's impossible, I think, or unrealistic to expect to invest in a super fund uh, and they be the top performer each and every year. In fact, you probably don't want them to do that because it means they're really chasing returns. And uh, the question is, at what cost? Um, uh, but, you know, it's really longer term returns are, are more compelling in my view. Um, I have selected the balanced uh, investment option, which really means by definition they have between 60 and and 75% of total assets invested in uh, what's called growth assets. So shares could be Australian international shares, private equity, um, uh, and smaller companies, uh, emerging markets, those sorts of things. Uh, now, some of those uh, investment options are actually named growth or balanced growth. They, have, they all have different names. So I, it's a, just a bit of a warning. Don't just go off the name. Like if it's balanced and you're comparing, say, a balanced at, uh, at uh, CBUS, for example, versus a balanced at Australian Super, you're not comparing the same uh, investment asset allocation. So it's really important to really 
look behind the actual name and, and have a look at the asset allocation and ensure you're comparing apples with apples. Uh, I have a link in the blog uh, as well to a, a table that compares the best returns for growth, um, but uh, Host Plus uh, won that one as well. So, um, And also there is another link in the blog uh, by uh, to, to its Chant West's uh, website, which is a research house, uh, and they've listed the top 10 super funds uh, across the board. So that's uh, small and large industry funds and retail uh, funds, but there's no real um, uh, new news there from that table. But those links you can find on the website and obviously in the, the show notes as well. Now, of course, it's common sense to understand where your money's invested. Um, and uh, that, that's, that is always true whether you're investing outside super or inside super. Um, so, I mean, it's your money, it's your risk. And my advice wouldn't be to invest blindly. That is, just give your money to Australian super and not have any concern or consideration to how and where it's invested. Um, that sort of approach will lead to um, disasters, typically. Uh, it's really not prudent. You really need to broadly understand how is it invested, who's looking after it, what are the mechanisms and so forth. And if you're not willing to go into that level of detail, then I'd say go and pay for advice because... Um, you've got a lot of money invested, uh, and if it's invested well, it will generate a lot of money for you, uh, but obviously the alternate is true as well. Uh, now, my major concern with the industry super funds is they have an asset class which they call alternative investments, and it's really just a bit of a black box. Um, for some industry funds, they're, they're quite... Uh, um, detailed in their disclosure. Well, I wouldn't describe it as detailed, but at least they give you some level of detail of what alternative investments includes. Uh, but a lot of those industry funds, you, you have really no idea uh, what's invested in it. Now, alternative investments as an asset class could really um, include anything that couldn't be described as a traditional asset class. And the traditional asset class would be Australian or international shares in developed markets, uh, bonds, property and cash. So if you can't um, put it in one of those categories, then it falls into the alternative investments category. And then it can, can include um, infrastructure investments, construction and private credit, which means borrowing, lending to those people, hedge funds, private equity, currency, commodities, like it really is anything. And that's the big concern, right? Because you just don't really know what they're investing in and what the risk profile is and what the performance is and those sorts of things. It's quite opaque. Uh, and the disclosure requirements are, are pretty ordinary as well. Like uh, I know that the government's trying to improve disclosure requirements, particularly of unlisted assets. Um, and uh, but, the, but obviously the, the industry funds are, are pushing back on that. Now, if you have a look at um, the allocation to what's called alternative investments, it can really range between those top eight funds between 5% and 33%. So a third of your money is going into this pool that no one really knows anything about um, and that industry super funds have very little obligation to disclose. Included in alternative assets could be um, what's called unlisted assets. So the advantage of listed assets, and listed assets are, I mean, assets that can be bought and sold on in exchange. So typically like the ASX, Australian Stock Exchange, or the New York Stock Exchange, London Stock Exchange, etc., they're listed assets. One of the advantages of investing in such assets is that 
price discovery occurs on a on a daily basis. Now, price discovery means that you've got a market, an open and transparent market, where you've got buyers and sellers, um, and that the current prices of the investment reflects all publicly available information in respect to that stock, and also reflects the market's views on that stock. So, it's a really transparent process that gives you a a very current idea of what your investment's worth, what the risks are, and consequently how it's performing. However, if you have unlisted assets, um, you obviously don't have that liquid, liquid, transparent market to rely upon. Now, an unlisted asset can include, you know, an investment in a really large infrastructure project or an investment in a company that's uh, that's not listed. So that's what's called private equity. Um, and essentially, if an industry fund uh, invests in something like that, they have to independently revalue those assets periodically. Now, prior to starting ProSolution back in 2002, um, nearly 19 years ago now, uh, I used to work for one of the big four chartered accounting firms in Deloitte preparing business valuations. And I know all too well that valuations can be highly subjective. And the fact is that you never really know what an asset's worth until you go and attempt to sell it in an open market situation. And some commentators have suggested that industry funds are using the subjectivity of unlisted asset valuations to their advantage by allowing them to manipulate investment returns. It's called valuation shopping, which means that you go around and speak to a bunch of valuers and and try and get their opinion. Now, I'm not suggesting this is what, what what's happening, um, but obviously if you're running one of these industry super funds, returns are important. Returns are important in respect to you retaining your job, uh, to having a thriving industry fund, and there is a conflict of interest here, um, although, uh, and, and uh, there's a lack of disclosure, and that's the problem here. Uh, now, the government's trying to fix that. The industry funds are current, currently pushing back on that, of course, um, uh, but, you know, um, bad returns hide in the dark uh, and where there's no dark and there's complete transparency, uh, bad returns won't or poor returns or, or unacceptable risk uh, just cannot persist. Now, it's probably a reasonable question to ask ourselves, why do uh, industry super funds invest in these unlisted assets, invest in these alternative investments, if you like? Well, one of the challenges that industry super funds have is they've got a lot of money to invest. Now, the superannuation guarantee rate increased to 10% of your salary after 1 July. Um, that will rise to 12%. And that's a lot of money flowing into um, the super funds. For example, um, I don't have 2021 information, but in 2020 financial year, Australian super received $15.5 billion in terms of new monies to invest. They've got to find a home for that money. They've got to find uh, somewhere to invest. And it's a problem because, uh, particularly in the Australian market, the Australian share market is so small that you know an industry fund um, can end up moving prices if they start buying particular stocks or in particular sectors and so forth. And so one alternative is to look for unlisted assets that they can invest in. Um, now, that's an industry super funds problem. It's not your problem to adopt right? Just because they've got a lot of money to invest doesn't mean that you should make any compromises. And I would argue, in fact, that, um, and there's some uh, good examples like Unisuper, for example, most of their investments in their balanced option are invested in assets that are mostly listed. 
Um, and so uh, I think that creates a lot of transparency and it create, gives me a lot more comfort about what the true performance, the true underlying performance is, and it leaves less ability for a, a super fund to manipulate returns. And you can argue that I'm being highly sceptical, and I probably am, but I'm reminded that there's been lots of uh, situations or events, um, corporate collapses, uh, people getting ripped off, Ponzi schemes, all these sorts of things that at the time didn't seem like a major concern, um, but was found out to be uh, perpetrated via commit, commitment of major fraud. And uh, fraud uh, just can't happen, or at least uh, the, the risk is much, much lower, where you have absolute transparency in all investments. And I think that's just got to be you know, something um, personally that, that I would always require uh, in the way that I invest monies. Okay, so let's uh, talk about the best industry funds then. So the way I would, uh, or the three considerations I have when selecting an industry fund is, of course, uh, historic investment returns. doesn't necessarily mean that they will um, continue to outperform, um, but the reality is, at least um, over the last uh, 10, 15 years, that the there are a few, a handful of industry funds that tend to continue to outperform the market or, or their peers, I should say. Uh, so returns are one. Fee levels are another. I mean, fees are certain. Returns are uncertain. Uh, so uh, using a fund or selecting a fund that has lower than average fees, um, as long as they've got higher than average returns, uh, feels pretty smart to me. Uh, and second, uh, thirdly, I should say, um, I don't want a lot invested in alternative assets because at this stage, there's just not enough disclosure requirements, which increases the risk of that investment because I can't really assess um, its risk profile and performance and so forth. Uh, and therefore, uh, I'm less inclined to invest. So they're the three criteria that I use. And there's two funds that really stand out. The first one is Australian Super. Now, clearly, it's been the better performer over three, five, seven and 10 years um, its uh, fees are relatively low. Uh, it charges 0.63 of a percent for its balanced option. That's an investment fee. Uh, it's got some admin fees as well, but that's the investment fee. Uh, and it's got 7.5% uh, invest in, in um, uh, alternative investments, but that's mainly in infrastructure and direct property. And I'm pretty comfortable with infrastructure and direct property. It's all the other stuff that I'm um, mostly concerned about. So Aussie Super is a, a good option. Uh, and the second one is Unisuper. Now, Unisuper used to be only available to people that were employed by Australian universities. But as of 1 July, it's opened up to the public now. So that's great. Um, it only invests in 5% in um, alternative assets, which include infrastructure and private equity. 5% I'm, I'm very comfortable with. Um, its fees, investment fees, are, are lower than Aussie Super at 0.46 of a percent. So less than half a percent, that's very low cost in terms of fees. And its uh, investment returns uh, over the long run have been excellent, you know, just slightly below Australian Super, but not materially below. So Aussie Super and Uni Super are really the um, two best industry super fund options. Now, that's not to say you should move your, fund, your super monies there. Of course, I have no idea what's right for you, and this is just a generalization. In fact, there could be um, far superior options uh, so, for example, uh, I've been I've had my super invested uh, using a wrap platform for uh, probably twenty years now, and I use this for a lot of my clients also. 
Um, and I think it's a, a superior, more transparent um, way of investing that gives, uh, gives me as an advisor a lot more control around exposures and so forth. Now, anyone that's been listening to this podcast for a while will realise that I'm a huge fan of low-cost, evidence-based, rules-based investment methodologies, particularly when investing in share markets, um, such as indexing and so forth. So it's probably reasonable for you to expect that I would be a fan of the index options that uh, industry super funds offer. So quite often you can have a, a two options, a balanced option or an index balance option, and the index balance option um, has a whole bunch of index funds behind it. Well, I've compared the historic returns and mostly over most periods of time, the index option has um, underperformed its, its traditional um, uh, comparative option. Uh, so it suggests actually indexing isn't really working in the super funds. Uh, Vanguard used to run a lot of their index um, portfolios, but it's, um, it's withdrawn because it's going to release a, a retail product, which is a great which will be fantastic for Australians, by the way. Uh, and I'll be talking about that when it comes out, when, when we have more detail. But um, uh, so now they have to run it themselves and they're not going to run it as well as uh, Vanguard has. Uh, I'm reminded by a really good um, quote by Upton Sinclair, which was an American novelist. And his quote says that it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. And my concern with, again perhaps being overly sceptical, but my view is that if the indexing works in industry super funds, they won't need anywhere near the number of investment staff. Uh, in fact, if it works really well and they promote it well, uh, perhaps they end up having to lose, I don't know, maybe 20, 30% of their staff um, because to run an index portfolio is uh, very low cost and doesn't need a lot of human resources. Um, and uh, so firstly, the investment team, uh, their jobs are on the line. If, if, they, if their index portfolio works well, you know, maybe they, they won't have a job. Uh, and then secondly, um, obviously industry super funds have very close tie with unions and unions aren't big fans of redundancies. So really there is a conflict of interest here because the people that are running that money, the people that are making those investment decisions are incentivized to make sure that their traditional balanced option um, uh, performs better and that indexing doesn't work. Uh, and, uh, and that's why I think that's what, I, what I'm seeing here because I know I run index portfolios for my clients and they've outperformed industry super funds. So uh, they're not obviously not doing it uh, properly or very well or they're manipulating the asset allocation, but either way, um, I think you've got to back the horse that's most likely to win. And so I would stick to the traditional um, uh, investment options, which uh, quite often there's, there's sort of two options that you typically have with an industry super fund. There's what's called a pre-mixed option, so a balanced growth, so forth. Or you can mix your own option using investment uh, asset classes. So you can decide how much to invest in Australian shares, international shares, and so forth. Uh, my strong view is to let the investment professionals make those asset allocation decisions. Asset allocation decisions are incredibly important. Uh, it's important that it's monitored regularly and changed regularly. Um, and they have investment committees to make those decisions that receive a lot of advice from asset consultants and so forth. You're paying them a fee. Let them earn that fee. 
by making that most important asset allocation decision. So stick to the premixed options. Choose either balanced or growth or something like that, whatever's appropriate for your risk profile. Don't try and do it yourself uh, by deciding, you know, Australian shares or international shares or whatever. Particularly if you if you have done that and it's worked incredibly well for you, because it might have over the last few years, um, that's not it's not going to be the same. It's not always going to work so well for you uh, in the future. So there you go. That's uh, sort of sums up uh, twenty twenty one uh, returns, superannuation returns. The the key elements: uh, make sure you choose a really good fund. Good returns, low fees, uh, less exposure to alternative investments. Stick to a pre-mixed uh, investment option, balanced or growth. Um, stick away or avoid the index options because they're likely to continue to underperform for all the reasons that I've just outlined. Okay, that's it from me for this week. Uh, until next week, bye for now.